sun benders alike. Welcome to Braving the Elements, Nickelodeon's podcast about all things Avatarverse. I'm Janet Varney. And I'm Dante Bosco. So last week we recapped the King of Omashu with Boomy himself. And in this episode, we're going to be talking to someone who's responsible for many of the words that came out of my own mouth when I was voicing Prince Zuko. Wow, Dante, that's that seems kind of intimidating. I mean, just in terms of all the... The things that, you know, Zuko did wrong and, and just, like, screwed up in his attempts to <laughs> capture the Avatar. I mean, like... And you all were, the great uh, things. And all the great yeah, things right? he no, said no, also. No, all no, the no, great no. things. Well, yeah, but, you know, I'm focusing on, you know, the negative. A lot of things that uh, Zuko went through, that he put other people through, that this person that we're talking to might ultimately be, you know, responsible for. So you're sort of the puppet and, and he's the evil puppeteer, I guess, in this scenario. You sure you want to do this? Do you want to talk to John or... Let's do this. Everybody, oh, uh, so brave. let's welcome our writer, John O'Brien. Uh, Hi, everybody. Applause, applause, I'm sorry applause. my camera is not working. I do love the idea of you insisting on anonymity as if writers, like, that that's part of a, an oath they take. Exactly. Yeah. Behind, the scenes only. The <laughs> Behind the scenes only, these writers, they're like, you know, they're pulling, like you said, they're the, they're the puppet masters pulling the strings. It, it makes it sound sinister. It's kind of cool. I mean, that's what I was going for. If there was an opportunity for me to scare Dante a little bit, you know, I like to I like to put him on the back foot. I know, exactly. And I want to find out exactly what stuff you were responsible for. Where were you at in, you know, in this whole, you know, we need we need to find out like your, you know, of course, your allegiances, which your culpabilities. Oh my God. Culpability. We need to find out politically where you stand in, within the within the elemental world. Oh, and, that's and interesting. What exactly happened with these... Uh, with this fire nation last hundred years <laughs> so so we're picking sides today that's that's what's happening uh, no sides picking yeah it's gonna get real ugly no we listen you don't have to pick any sides I, I will say have you two been in a room together before or is was everything sort of off i mean sometimes we would have core writers but a lot of the time the core writers were off writing and so we didn't get to interact with them very often what about you two i i don't know very rare very rarely i don't think so i think when we're in the booth like Mike and Mike and Brian were there most of the times. Sometimes only Mike. Sometimes only Brian. Sometimes you know some of the other directors there. I don't know if the writers were ever in the in the booth. Were you guys, John? I, I came in for a few episodes, uh, but I don't remember Dante being in them. They would they would bring out the writers out every now and then. They bring out the writers <laughs> out, dust them off, brush the cobwebs out of their eyes. What did you think about the the record sessions as a writer? Oh, it's one of my favorite things to do. I'm not good at communicating with actors necessarily. Well, you've proven that so far. We've only been on for like five minutes. So, well, like, uh, are we all speaking English right now? John? No, it's true. Look, there have been a lot of times where I was very thankful for Andrea Romano or whoever was between me and the talent uh-huh. <laughs> because because <laughs> writers are not always the most tactful people, I guess. And yet some of my favorite people in production, period. So what does that say about me? <laughs> right. You're a writer also, Janet. Is that why? Because I yeah. feel th- these uh, are my people. Yeah. And I'm a writer. I'm a writer also. Too. I know I you do, are. I love, I mean, yeah, it, there is something magical about writing scenes and ideas and, and poetry within the, within the lines and seeing people say it. 
and Sam great and bring stuff to it that you didn't even imagine. There's something magical about that for sure. Yeah. So before we get too deep into the uh, the Avatar verse, John, we would love to hear from you where kind of what your background was and what was going on in your career as you were getting closer to joining the Avatar team and what that was like. So I was in my 20s, which is forever ago. Without, without telling you exactly how old I am. I was PA on a show called Mission Hill, which was an animated series yeah. on the WB, which was a real wow. network. And I loved it. And I was like, oh, this show is amazing. And America did not think so. And it was promptly canceled. <laughs> but while I was there, I met a lot of people. I met Aaron Ehas there and... Mike and Brian both worked on Mission Hill and would come in for animatics. And so that was actually where I first met them. And they hired Aaron to be head writer. And he brought me in to work on Avatar in like the early, early days. I think it was like February of 2004 or something like that when it was just getting going. Somehow I ended up sticking around for almost the entire run of the series. So obviously you were sort of one of the first people to know that indeed this was something that was going to have some teeth and was going to have sort of big picture mature themes and that you guys were going to be able to be genuinely funny and not be pushy in the same way that sometimes I think, you know, kids shows feel they have to be or, you know, are, tonally that's what they are and people absolutely love them and that's the energy level. Obviously, this is not that. What was the writing process like? I mean, once you kind of reported for duty, were you breaking episodes together and then going off and writing? Like, what was that like? Yeah, it's funny because in the early, early days, I mean, in addition to Mike and Brian, it was all comedy people. It was me and Aaron and Matt Hubbard, who went on to work on 30 Rock, and Nick Malice, who ran Tosh.0. That was like our first writer's room for the first few episodes. If I'm being straight, I don't think the show really found its legs for a few episodes. But I, but I think that's true of most shows. <laughs> I think most shows, that it's probably pretty rare if you know immediately, like, this is exactly what's going to work. Obviously, the tones and just the overall kind of arcs and everything that you sort of explore in the first handful of episodes differ so wildly. Obviously, the first two are, are companion pieces, so not so much with that. But the Southern Air Temple is totally different tonally in terms of like, wow, this is, you know, that's heavy. There's some heavy stuff going on there. And then Kiyoshi is... I mean, it's a that's a pretty balanced in terms of drama and comedy. And by the way, listeners, please don't think that I'm saying that the other ones are imbalanced in quotes like that's a bad thing. But I'm sure we can all agree that that some of the episodes lean more into the humor and some of them lean more into the the emotion Themes, and then some yeah. kind of. Yeah. And the King of Omashu is like out and out easily just like funny, funny, funny. I mean, it's very funny. It's like packing in jokes in a way that none of the other episodes um, have quite done. So tonally, it feels super different Yeah, in, in terms of what we've recapped so far. It, to, to be honest with you, I always say this and people look disappointed. It might be one of my least favorite episodes if I'm, oh, wow. if I'm being completely <laughs> honest. It's like No, you should be. Brian and Mike are always super honest about that stuff. To this day, I get a lot of comments about The Great Divide. 
But to me, the Great Divide is leaps and bounds better than than the King of Omashi. But that's just my own personal taste. I've I've grown to love the Great Divide also, and I know the Great Divide is a very, you know. Very... Oh, dude, I I could talk all hour about that about how I, you know I didn't even know that was a thing until like a year or two ago, and then I started getting tweets like like a tweet a week, like, "Hey, man." Yeah, yeah. Um, no, I love <laughs> anyway. the I love the Great Divide. I mean, we haven't gotten there yet in our um, well, rewatching the series, but I watched it uh, recently uh, a few times, and I actually talked a lot to Giancarlo Volpe about about the about uh, yeah. it. He directed it. <laughs> yeah. And I always, I actually, you guys talked about it on your Avatar reunion for sure. I talked on the Avatar reunion, and some I like to um, I like to introduce Giancarlo as the director of the Great Divide. Giancarlo is one of my favorite people. I love that he owns that with me. I love the episode. I love the art changes, everything. I, I, I have no that. issue with it either. And I also didn't know that that was, I was one, I was not steeped in, you know, fan favorites and fan non-favorites until we started working on this podcast. And that's when I kind of got more exposed to the things that, you know, garner very strong opinions from the show. But this Great is what, this is, the, is least, your, the least favorite episode it is, is. It seems to definitely be the least favorite. But this is your opportunity to explain to people. Yeah, I'm trying to rally it to, to, to move up the ladder a little no, bit. No, you've been a good ambassador for that episode to be sure when you see a main writing credit if you're a person who's not in the business that it is like they imagine you sitting in a tower somewhere rubbing your hands together maniacally like patting yourself on the back for for solely writing the great divide this is an opportunity for all your fellow writers to share in that pain and criticism so please tell us what breaking an episode was like like what does it mean to be the main writer of an episode. Right. What does that look okay. like? So say you're writing King of Omashu, what would that look like? Yeah, so uh, I, I will say that Giancarlo and I kind of have taken it on as a joke that we, the Great Divide is our ugly baby and that we are very proud of it. But you're, you're right, that's not entirely true. When you are working on a TV show, you usually are in a room with at least a handful of other people and you look at a cork board, and it's the most non-exciting process you can imagine. That goes on for like two days, just staring at a cork board with index cards. (laughs) Everybody pitches jokes. And then after those two days, the writer goes off and writes an outline, and then you get notes on that, and then you go off and write the script, and then everybody rewrites it together. So it's, it's very seldom one person. I mean, the writing credits on TV shows are not a reflection of what went into it, I guess. Yeah, see? Look at that. Look at how we spread the blame out. Just like that, it was easy. Yeah. Smooth as butter. Smooth as butter on a bagel. I do need to ask you this. If you were responsible for the first draft, and this is a thing that happens in the King of Mashu that feels more incidental, and it is more of a running joke, did you invent the cabbage merchant, or cabbage man, as many call him? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So you you created you one of man? the most beloved side characters in the history of the show. You created Cabbage Man. My cabbages! It's funny because I'm hesitant to flat out say that, but he did. <laughs> as far as I know, that is the first time we see him. That's the first time we see him for sure. It absolutely is. You're the first person to type Cabbage Man. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it was 100% yeah. just, uh, did you guys ever see The Electric Company? Yes. 
Hey, you guys. There's a bit they used to do. It was like an animated thing where like a guy would be stacking cans in a grocery store and getting oh, yes. Yeah. Yes. Oh, my yes. gosh. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my god! And somebody would just come. That's so funny. <laughs> I haven't heard Hey, You Guys in quite some time. Morgan Freeman is alive, though, and he will come after you. Yeah, especially as Dracula. That vampire was very scary to me. It was too advanced. It was too, speaking of mature themes in a kid show, I was not ready to be introduced to a vampire vis-a-vis Electric Company. It was another show that played right after Sesame Street. So when you got to that age when you thought you were growing up a little bit older than like the puppets, then it felt like the Electric Company was just like a little cooler. You're a little wiser. Very cool. It opens up with, hey, you guys. And they're like, we're going to turn it on. Maybe it wasn't that. No, I think it was. Uh, It was was that groovy. It was that groovy. Spider-Man. He was on Electric Company, right? Spider-Man. Yeah, 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 they had Spider-Man. That's why it was so cool. Okay, so that guy with the cans on the Electric Company inspired the Cabbage Merchant. Well, this is a big deal. It's a big deal that we are here i'm starting to respect you guys listen i'm giving john a hard time because i was told by Matthew <laughs> Ryan that he would appreciate it nay lean into it so no one is allowed to say that i was being a bully because i promise you but john am i being a bully no dude yeah dude you know i'm not being a bully you created cabbage man <laughs> this is a really big deal that's such a big it's deal. such a big deal people love it and i want to hear why you don't love the king of amashu I feel very ready to hear what you don't like about it, but I disagree. There's a lot to love, but what don't you like about it? I don't know. I think it's just that we, I feel like we did not know what we were doing with that episode yet. I, I mean, we had a cool plot twist and that was all we had really for the plot episode. Plot twist was great. Plot yeah. twist got me. Hey, the plot really? twist got me. I had no idea that was Boomy. I really didn't. First of all, I didn't realize Boomy. I thought it was so cool when it was Boomy. I was like, oh, that they're homies when they're younger. Yeah. The white yeah. armpit hair throws me every time. White armpit every hair. Every single it's, time. It is, it's an attention grabber. He does have every single time. tough, He's big, a- just proud tufts of white armpit hair, King Boomy. <laughs> yeah. And it's cool to see the power of these these uh, earthbenders in this episode, but a lot of comedy. Standalone episode. You guys knew it was a, it's a standalone episode, right? There's no serialization. I mean, there's no Zuko. Particular. Let's just speak to the elephant in the room. I mean, there's no there's, Zuko. There's a, so let's there's a huge absence of Zuko. That. That's right. Not a lot of Fire Nation in this episode, but whatever. Were there episodes where you felt like you had to fight for something? Or was everybody kind of groupthink in a way that was like consistent? It's funny. I, I do remember a somewhat heavy conversation. And it, it wasn't like an argument, but it was Sokka being sexist. And I remember that there was a director named Lauren McMullen, who uh, is amazing and is one of my favorite animators of all time, and who actually did the artwork on Mission Hill. Like that was her entire, the art design on that show was all her. And I remember her, there was an episode where Sokka said something sexist. And I, I was taking the position that like, that does not mean that the show is being sexist. That means that he's being a buffoon and we are going to take him on a journey where he learns a lesson. And her point was that, like, I don't know that kids are going to think this unless you present the idea to them. And I still, to this day, don't know who was right <laughs> in that discussion. She very well might have been. I think uh, you're probably talking about Wars of Kiyoshi. Yeah. Am I wrong, Barney? Yeah, absolutely. We talked about, we had Jenny Kwan on, and we actually talked about that. And, and that is something. And I think especially... 
it's really I'm really glad you brought that up because that is that is one of those things that I think people look at who knew the show then as it was coming out and now you know 15 16 17 years later when the way that certain things in television are depicted or just avoided um, that is one of those things that you know people kind of do say oh man does that are we get, are we planting an idea or are we exposing something and then showing why it's not appropriate? And so I think I, I think it's really interesting to hear that that conversation was happening then and that the, oh, for the sure it happened to go and, forward. Yeah. And I remember thinking that I was definitely right. And now now, of course, with, you know, things being completely different, I'm like, well, I, you know, I don't know. And I have a daughter now. It may have been like the stuff at the North Pole at the end of season one mm. where Northern Water Tribe won't teach Katara. That might have been it. I, oh, I yes. don't remember. Oh, there's that too. Foreshadow report. Foreshadow report. There, there are different ways to do fantasy, and one of them is you use real world issues. And I, I don't know. I don't know if that's the correct way to do, it, especially for kids. I, I honestly don't know. But that was obviously the route we went. That's interesting yeah, because but... it's that. I mean, that is bigger picture in the sense that the idea that baked into a culture could be a tradition that wouldn't be viewed as as misogynistic or wouldn't be viewed as ageist or name your poison. And so figuring out how to navigate like I'm in a different place in a different situation. What's the umbrella ethics that we expect everyone to agree on? And can there even be such a thing? So that's like big picture stuff. I mean, bravo for you guys, whatever got depicted. Those are really important conversations to be having. Yeah, it, w- it was not something we did lightly, I guess. That's for certain. I- I'm under no illusion. Like, y- you could not make Sokka now. I-, I don't know how you would do it. It's Well, you watched it. You said you watched it with your kids and one- and-, and you have a daughter and stuff. How yeah. was- What was the experience like of watching it with your kids, having worked on the show oh. so many years ago? <laughs> Uh, my daughter loves the show. It's, uh, but yeah, no, she is definitely visibly soured whenever a moment like that happens. Like, and we'll, we'll like, yell at the TV. Right. And it's funny. Like, I'll, I'll watch things with her, and she'll say, like, ah, there's like no girls on this show. And one day she was just going off, and she was like, you know, I love Harry Potter, but there's like three girls on Harry Potter, and one of them's a cat. <laughs> and, and I was like, <laughs> sweetie, you're absolutely right. If it's any consolation, it was so much worse in our day. Like I can remember watching the Smurfs and there's like one girl. I know. We're you know, that's the patriarchy. There was a lot of patriarchy stuff going on in the Northern Water Tribe for sure. Yeah. I do remember yeah. the episode and they were punks. I remember watching it too, like those guys are a bunch of jerks. <laughs> yeah. But but throughout the series, you know, I think Sokka does ultimately learn from all that stuff, which I think is good. Yeah. Just, yeah, just, yeah. Just keep going. Just continuing. I think we need to also show sometimes like the negative side of things in order for the positive stuff to arise. We can't all just magically be, you know, everyone's you're, just magically PC all the time. You're like, okay. You're absolutely right. There are a lot of kids entertainment companies that do not want their hero to have flaws and then you have nowhere to take them. And those characters are so much less fun to write for. Were there characters that you particularly liked writing for? Oh, man, I'm Team Toph all the way. Even though I don't even know that I wrote that much Toph, but she's like, and this was before I had a daughter. I I mean, also Uncle Iroh. The Zuko and Iroh scenes are some of the best stuff in the series. There's no doubt. 
especially like season two where it gets all heavy. When you start talking to Mike and Brian and these bigger issues start coming up, these bigger thematic things, whether they be abuse, you know, parental abuse, uh, genocide, um, these, you know, really heavy things to throw on a, you know, maybe a 12 year old kid. How are these conversations going in the, in the writer's room? I don't think there was that much controversy in the writer's room, but I'm sure those guys fought many battles. I mean, some of that was built into the development process, I guess. So yeah, they must have decided that the epic side, wanting to have that epic story with a sort of hero's journey, that if you make the commitment to do that, there are in most of those stories, there's some pretty heavy stuff. But then how to make it funny. That's a thing that a lot of shows can't balance. And there's, and even myself auditioning and working on shows post-Avatar, it's like Avatar comes up in the audition process, in the development process. Even as I'm pitching things out, it's like Avatar is a buzzword. Like, so how can we make it more Avatar-like? And it's so crazy. Well, it's time. I have to ask about the animals. What was the process of coming up with the hybrid animals like? Did you, did the writers other than Mike and Brian have participation in what you wanted to combine? And if so, do you have one that you remember coming up with on your own? And if you don't, do you have a favorite? I want to say platypus bear was, that's the one that's coming to mind immediately. That's like one of the first ones that I came up with. You took and an animal that real... already looks like it's the hybrid of something and added something. <laughs> it's already a hybrid. Platypus already hybrid. Right. It's a superfluous animal hybrid. <laughs> <laughs> but... <laughs> the platypus is already confused. Yeah. He's already confused, that guy. He doesn't know what he's doing. <laughs> he has a beak. I got a beak. <sighs> what the heck? Why do I got this beak? I got no teeth. And then we talked to Mike and Brian and and Dante asked about Bosco the bear and said, why is, Bo- first of all, d- should I be oh, worried yeah. that Bosco is named after me? And second of all, why is he just a bear? And I-, I believe Brian said, this is when you have a bunch of really smart writers who went to Ivy League schools and stuff. First of all, they're like, hybrid animals? Wait, we got to do jokes about that. And then they're like, wait, let's do a joke about not having a hybrid animal. That's yeah. its own joke. <laughs> why is Bosco the bear just a bear and not a platypus bear. That sounds very, very Tim Hedrick. I'm pretty sure that's that's him. If I had to guess, nice. <laughs> just an inside joke like this particular bear. I mean, it's just the king's bear. Yeah, it's just the bear. The king. I'm and the that, king. So just I'm the king, and I got something really special. A non-crossed animal. Oh, and they they have that joke where it's like, uh, you don't know what I had to do to get tickets this close to the bear or something. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, what are you guys doing? (laughs) Oh, no. Are you guys just, just, how do you guys, are you just picking these little jokes and like making each other laugh in the, in the, in the writer's room and like, yeah, it's good. Throw that in there. I I don't remember where that came from. Inside jokes that are going in. Yeah. But not just that, there's so many little inside jokes that I guess we end up going inside with you guys, but we don't know where they're coming from. It's just like weird jokes that aren't slapstick like super funny jokes they're just right weird little inside jokes yeah I'm, I'm sure at a certain point it got we felt like we could get self-referential referential i guess I, like with the bear um where people had seen enough av- episodes of avatar where we could kind of poke fun at it i guess the the moment when you realize you can start getting a little meta is 
yeah possibly a dangerous one because then you're like "Uh uh-oh what if we slip too far into that self-referential esoterica (laughs) yeah yeah no no kidding and you can do that where you're just you know making yourself laugh and no one else um well you guys definitely did not do that with this show it's feels it always feels like you're on the inside of it as a, as a watcher, you know, as a viewer, I think. Right. That's why people love also, it. Also, just, just back to Cabbage Man. Back to Cabbage Man real quick. Because yeah, yeah. Yeah. I talk about that dude all day. So there's no notes. Mike and Bryant weren't like, we need Cabbage Man in this episode. That's just something you came up with. Like, you just typed up C-A-B-B-A-G-E, man. I think he so. He didn't come to you in a vision. There wasn't no note from Mike and Bryant. Like, you know what we need yeah. here? Cabbage Man. We need this Cabbage Man guy. So my my memory is that I think Brian had been watching Cowboy Bebop or Fully Cooley or something like that. And he was like, they have a character who's on every single planet they go to. And he's just already there ahead of them. What if we do that with this guy? And I think that's where it came from. That makes sense. That makes sense. Before we go, I think we have some like regular questions that we kind of ask all the guests. Oh, heck yeah. What kind of bender would you be? It's funny. I'm Team Toph, so I guess, I guess I'd guess i go Earth. Way to sound sure. Way to sound sure. I think I'd want to... I think that civilization probably has the most to offer, is my guess. It's true. It's true. It's all about I mean, what this, can they, they have, do for you. They have a lot of <laughs> land. Bossing uh, says looks like a pretty happening <laughs> place to, like party and hang out and if you socialize. can get past the whole secret police yeah that's weird they have they have some weird stuff too wait what about you guys what what's your uh i'm fire oh nation gosh, sir. don't even fire, you, can't, oh, you won't obviously. be able to get the question out you will not be able to get the question out he will have answered it already yeah i'm gonna tell you like we're a small island but there's like tropical areas <laughs> there's beaches yeah. beautiful here beaches we here we go beautiful beaches you got me thinking you got, you got me changing my mind yeah, great sunsets, great sunsets. A lot of red and orange hues in our in our landscape. This episode was brought to you by Fire Nation Travel. We got islands, we got beaches. Yes, we've got the Earth Kingdom colonies. We've eradicated the pockets of the world where air nomads roam. Come to the Fire Nation if you like things hot. Very hot. You'll feel the burn all across the Fire Nation islands if you disrespect the Fire Lord. We'll burn you to a crisp. Um, I don't think this is a very good representation of the Fire Nation. Isn't it? John, how do you fare in the world of ships? Do you have a ship that you enjoy? And do you know what we're talking about when we say that? Oh, yeah, yeah, of course. Um, I would have gone Katara Zuko. Zutara! Zutara! Zutara, see, that's what I'm talking about, John. That's what so. I I know we're on the. I know we lost that fight, but uh, yeah, we did. But was it a fight? Was was there talks about that in the writers' room? Inquiring minds want to know. Yeah, yeah. I, I think definitely that stuff came up a lot. There is. Some, I'm sure there's some other. There's some dimension, uh, some alternate dimension though, where they are a thing. I think there is. I think there's like, can we do like a Spider-Verse thing with Avatar-Verse? Like different things that happen in different dimensions, same characters. That's pretty cool. I, I like mean, that. listen, anything's possible. Well, thank you so much for, for, for doing the, 
the podcast, John. Oh, this thank you for having me on, dudes. I'm... Well, thank you so much. I feel like a lot of stuff is going out into the world to the Avatar fans from this interview with you that is going to satisfy a lot of people to feel that they have yet another very special peek inside oh, good. the process. The fact that you just said you were fighting for Zutara is like going to rock the internet. It's either going to satisfy the fan base or just going to invigorate them to just fill in the comic boxes with a lot of other questions and uh, frustrations. That's right, yeah. Good fodder for conversation. Do you have a presence in anything you would like people to know about that they should be checking out? Yeah, what's going on? What's oh, the man. future for you? If you guys play... If anyone plays League of Legends, you are about to get me, really sick I do. Really sick I'm a of League me. of Legends player. No, that's amazing. So I've, I'm big. I'm big League player. I've been at Riot for a few years now, and I'm about. We're about to drop a bunch of stuff that I wrote. That is amazing. So League of Legends and um, anything on socials. You want to like just tell people? Are you like active on any platforms? I, I'm on Twitter. I don't have a huge following, but. Uh, I'm there. I post every day. John O'Brien, O-B-R-Y-A-N. Twitter handle is at John O'Trian with no apostrophe. John, thank you again so much. Stay tuned for another episode next week. We'll be recapping episode six of Avatar The Last Airbender, Imprisoned, with special guest Kevin Michael Richardson. It's one you won't want to miss. Remember, everyone, you can find us wherever you get your podcasts. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the iHeartRadio app. Subscribe, follow, like us. We love you back. We will see you next time. See you next time.